right, it's only been about five minutes for us. Um, could have been less for you if you went straight through. Uh, but I'm still here with Cody. Um, What's up? And so we're gonna we're gonna do the chapter seven vignette. I'm gonna let Cody read that one. Um, it's a <laughs> privilege. It's both. This vignette is both funny <clears throat> and like I think it well. It's I think it's so funny because it's so realistic and 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 accurate. But the way it's told is so like almost stream of conscious um at times yeah maybe that might be a stretch but Millet Millet uh, my friend here read it before I jabber chapter 7 while the bombardment was knocking the trench to pieces at Fasalta, he lay very flat and sweated and prayed, Oh, Jesus Christ, get me out of here. Dear Jesus, please get me out. Christ, please, 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 Christ. If you'll only keep me from getting killed, I'll do anything you say. I believe in you, and I'll tell everyone in the world that you are the only one that matters. Please, please, dear Jesus. The shelling moved further up the line. We went to work on the trench, and in the morning the sun came up, and the day was hot and muggy and cheerful and quiet. The next night back at Mestra, he did not tell the girl he went upstairs with at the Villa Rosa about Jesus, and he never told anybody. How relatable is that? <laughs> what, like whether? Uh, I mean, I feel like even pe even people who aren't aren't religious have probably just like at some point been in such a been in a situation that was just bad for whatever reason, whether whether they were sick or whether they were had just done something stupid. Um, like, if you'll just get me out of this, or, like, you, maybe. Maybe you were, like, in this, like, you really liked this person or you, like, you had this really good friend and you did something really, like, you either said something stupid, did something stupid to them, and you're like, oh, if you'll just let me have that person back in my life I'll do anything mm. and then as soon as it happens you're like I don't remember saying anything of the sort yeah it does kind of remember, remind me of the, the previous story a little like things said in the moment you know aren't carried out I think he believed it like, I think he oh absolutely, absolutely. You, in the in the, t in, in the moment you believe what you're saying yeah you're not like like in that situation, and you chalk it up either forget or you chalk it up as, uh, yeah. you know, it's just it, it was what it was. In that situation, if you're like broken or like scared to that point, like you you mean what you say. You're like you absolutely are going to do it. Like, but as soon as you're out of the situation, you're like either you just kind of get cold feet. It may not even be like a conscious decision to be like ah forget that, but like you just it either like leaves your mind or back to that like um, sobering up thing whether it's like a actual sobering up or just like a, you're out of that um, off that adrenaline rush or whatever whatever situation you were in you're you're out of it now and it just you just don't feel like you need to do it you're like ah, I'll be yeah <laughs> um but yeah, I can imagine if 
you're like laying flat in a trench and that is being bombarded I, I can imagine you'd be in a pretty bad <laughs> place unless you were like just nuts mm. like yeah bring it on like you know if you're like a character in a movie maybe but I feel like 99.9% of people no matter how tough you are you get in that situation like you're not tougher than a I think I think shell and that's what you you know like there's there's no praise here and we'll see at the when we get to soldiers home like there's no praise here for the war like he does a good job of telling the truth and in the and the truth about it is in the moment like it is terrible and you do not want to be there you can act as patriotic as you want to be but nobody wants to get shot like <laughs> trench warfare is not beautiful and it's not patriotic it's and if not. you're there even if you don't believe like anything I'm, I will believe right now if you get me out of here you know <laughs> just anything um that and, the, and then the previous vignette from the last last podcast is just it doesn't present the war like as her- heroic or noble. It's just a really bad situation. Yeah, it's like nobody really wants yeah. to be there. Um, they don't have much of a choice. <laughs> like, well, if you're there, it's kind of like, I mean, yeah, gotta get through it. So anyway, any any way possible, any, yeah, yeah. Any way you have. Some people, I mean, they probably didn't have much access to alcohol in the trenches, so you get you have to get yourself a little little spiritual high in uh, whatever way. Um. I mean, it's just it's just wonderfully written, though, it and is. and it tells the truth. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a, a relatable truth. I obviously never been in something as dire as uh, trench warfare. Yeah. However, <laughs> I have, I have been in a situation like that where you know, I'm reaching out for something like get me out of this situation, and then boom, as I've, soon as I'm out, forget everything I said. I've got like a. <laughs> I was probably doing that that uh, camping trip we went on when I just down that bottle of rum yeah i mean I, I, that was that was one of those situations where i was like i don't know if i'm gonna make it out of this i was like <laughs> i was like i'm an idiot um i'm not gonna go into too many details about that i do have one of my stories um i don't remember which book i put it in but i'm pretty sure it's in my collected stories um if you're at all interested i, I don't really bring up my my writing my fiction on this on this podcast very often but if, if you're if you are interested in that story you can find it um yeah <laughs> um so I guess moving on to soldiers home um I'm just gonna read through it um it kind of probably break in on this one some um, when we see things that that stick out since it's a little bit longer than a very short story, um, although it is not terribly long. Um, I may read the whole thing. We may take take turns reading it. We'll just have to have to see. Um, let's see. It says it was written in April 1924, um, so it's written about five years after 
Hemingway himself came back home from from the war. Um, so, Soldier's Home. Krebs went to the war from a Methodist college in Kansas. There is a picture which shows him among his fraternity brothers, all of them wearing exactly the same height and style collar. He enlisted in the Marines in 1917 and did not return to the United States until the second division returned from the Rhine in the summer of 1919. There is a picture which shows him on the Rhine with two German girls and another corporal. Krebs and the corporal look too big for their uniforms. The German girls are not beautiful. The Rhine does not show in the picture. I think... Was it in, was it in the class? Um, was it in that modernism class where they were talking about like if you go to war you're not necessarily taking pictures of what's around you you're taking pictures of like the mm. people you met because mm. um, it's, it's, it's just interesting the German girls are not beautiful <laughs> just like is that necessary <laughs> probably not uh, it's a detail I guess um, but the Rhine does not show in the picture but he, he but he he knows that's where it was. Mm. That's, that's not what the point was. It's not like, oh, I'm this is where I'm at. It's this is the people I was with. Yeah, that is true. Like when I see like my grandfather was in the military, people in my family were in the military. They show me pictures. They're in these amazing places, but they're just taking pictures of themselves in camp or yeah, just like me and two guys hanging <laughs> out. And you never really see pictures of the amazing places they go to. Just this is us in in, in the time. Huh? I don't know why. Um, Probably because like you, what you said, what the focus, is, like the focus a, is on us. We're here together. Yeah, you're getting through it together. You're yeah. not like you're not like you know these people have been getting maybe getting shot at with you or something. Like I don't know about the the German girls, but the him and the another corporal that <laughs> they've been through probably been through some things together they're in it together um they don't really care where they're at um they don't it says river separating france and germany is where the rhine is by the way um yeah i don't want to devote too much time to that um but by the time krebs returned to his hometown in oklahoma the greeting of heroes was over he came back much too late the men from the town who had been drafted had all been welcomed elaborately on their return. There had been a great deal of hysteria. Now the reaction had set in. People seemed to think it was rather ridiculous for Krebs to be getting back so late, years after the war was over. At first, Krebs, who had been at Bellewood, Soissons, the Champagne, St. Mahil, I can't pronounce any of these, <laughs> and in the Argonne, did not want to talk about the war at all. Later, he felt the need to talk, but no one wanted to hear about it. His town had heard too many atrocity stories to be thrilled by actualities. Krebs found that to be listened to at all, he had to lie, and after he had done this twice, he too had a reaction against the war and against talking about it. A distaste for everything that had happened to him in the war set in because of the lies he had told. All of the times that had been able to make him feel cool and clear inside himself when he thought of them, the time so long back when he had done the one thing, the only thing for a man to do, easily and naturally, when he might have done something else, now lost their cool, valuable quality, and then were lost themselves. 
feel like there that last bit is um when he had done the one thing the one thing for a man to do easily and naturally when he might have done something else you think he killed a man maybe <laughs> maybe maybe not um his lies were quite unimportant lies and consisted in attributing to himself things other men had seen, done, or heard of, and stating as fact certain apocryphal incidents familiar to all soldiers. Even his lies were not sensational at the pool room. His acquaintances, who had heard detailed accounts of German women found chained to machine guns in the Argonne Forest and who could not comprehend or were barred from, by their patriotism from interest in, any German machine gunners who were not chained were not thrilled by his stories. Krebs acquired the nausea in regard to experience that is the result of untruth or exaggeration, and when he occasionally met another man who had really been a soldier and they talked a few minutes in the dressing room at a dance, he fell into the easy pose of the old soldier among other soldiers, that he had been badly, sickeningly frightened all the time. In this way, he lost everything. Um, there's the footnote there. It says, Such feelings suggest why so many veterans were diagnosed with shell shock after the Great War. Battle trauma was one of the first disorders to be identified and treated by modern psychologists. So I think it's important to note that, you know, he, he is suffering from what we would now know as PTSD to some extent or another in this story. Um... During this time, it was late summer, he was sleeping late in bed, getting up to walk downtown to the library to get a book, eating lunch at home, reading on the front porch until he became bored, and then walking down through the town to spend the hottest hours of the day in the cool dark of the pool room. He loved to play pool. In the evening, he practiced on his clarinet, strolled downtown, read, and went to bed. He was still a hero to his two young sisters. His mother would have given him breakfast in bed if he had wanted it. She often came in when he was in bed and asked him to tell her about the war, but her attention always wandered. His father was non-committal. What do you think this says about like, like his his mother's trying? It almost feels like his mother like doesn't really want to hear the stories. Yet she wants to be there for him. But she wants to be yeah. there for him. Yeah, that's what I get. Um, before Krebs went away to the war, he had never been allowed to drive the family motor car. His father was in the real estate business and always wanted the car to be at his command when he required it to take clients out into the country to show them a piece of farm property. The car always stood outside the First National Bank building where his father had an office on the second floor. Now, after the war, it was still the same car. Nothing was changed in the town except that the young girls had grown up, but they lived in such a complicated world of already defined alliances and shifting feuds that Krebs did not feel the energy or the courage to break into it. He liked to look at them, though. There were so many good-looking young girls. Most of them had their hair cut short. When he went away, only little girls wore their hair like that, or girls that were fast. They all wore sweaters and shirt waists with round Dutch collars. It was a pattern. He liked to look at them from the front porch as they walked on the other side of the street. He liked to watch them walking under the shade of the trees. He liked the round Dutch collars above their sweaters. He liked their silk stockings and flat shoes. He liked their bobbed hair and the way they walked. When he was in town, their appeal to him was not very strong. He did not like them when he saw them in the Greek's ice cream parlor. He did not want them themselves, really. They were too complicated. There was something else. Vaguely, he wanted a girl, but he did not ha want to have to work to get her. He would have liked to have a girl, but he did not want to have to spend a long time getting her. 
He did not want to get into the intrigue and the politics. He did not want to have to do any courting. He did not want to tell any more lies. It wasn't worth it. He did not want any consequences. He did not want any consequences ever again. He wanted to live along without consequences. Besides, he did not really need a girl. The army had taught him that. It was all right to pose as though you had to have a girl. Nearly everybody did that, but it wasn't true. You did not need a girl. That was the funny thing. First, the fellow boasted how girls mean nothing to him, that he never thought of them, that they could not touch him. Then a fellow boasted that he could not get along without girls, that he had to tell them all the time, that he could not go to sleep without them. That was all a lie. It was all a lie both ways. You did not need a girl unless you thought about them. He learned that in the army. Then sooner or later, you always got one. When you were really ripe for a girl, you always got one. You did not have to think about it. Sooner or later, it would come. He had learned that in the army. It's just kind of like he's he's going through a period in like kind of these two pages where he's just kind of like got this ambivalence for living life. He's just kind of coasting, coasting along after the war. Like he doesn't really want to do anything. Uh, part of that's probably the whole the PTSD thing. He's trying to kind of come to terms with what's happened in the war maybe. Um, part of it is, I mean, in the in the army, you're kind of, especially like during the war, like you are told where you need to be. You have mm -hmm. a place to be at all times. And now suddenly he's free to do whatever he wants. And he's just kind of chilling. And he doesn't, it's, at one point he says, you know, like he didn't want to get into the politics of it. He's been away so long. And coming coming back to a world that continued without him, it, it's work to break into that, you know, like to try and get a girl to like you. Probably have to lie to her in his his case, or the, that's at least what he believes. Yeah, and sooner you know, or later just, it would come anyway, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Some point, you know, it's just gonna happen. You know, why force it? Um, yeah. Now he would have liked a girl if she had come to him and not wanted to talk. <laughs> there's a sentence for you there's a sentence for you man uh, he, just, he, just, he just wanted he just he wants someone to like kind of be with him be beside him he doesn't want to have to listen to her talk you know he doesn't like he doesn't want to work for it and that that's a form of working for it i guess to dear Krebs. Um. well i mean I, i'm not trying i i took a little more uh, promiscuous meaning to that sentence. Okay, yeah. But uh, I think it could be read both ways. It could be read both ways. But yeah, I think there's definitely some of that in there as well. But here, it, um, I'll reread it. Now he would have liked a girl if she had come to him and not wanted to talk. But here at home, it was all too complicated. He knew he could never get through it all again. It was not worth the trouble. That was the thing about French girls and German girls. There was not all this talking. You couldn't talk much, and you did not need to talk. It was simple, and you were friends. He thought about France, and then he began to think about Germany. On the whole, he had liked Germany better. He, he did not want to leave Germany. He did not want to come home. Still, he had come home. He sat on the front porch. He liked the girls that were walking along the other side of the street. He liked the look of them much better than the French girls or the German girls, but the world they were in was not the world he was in. He would mm -hmm. like to have one of them, but it was not worth it. It was such a nice pattern. He liked the pattern. It was exciting. But he would not go through all the talking. He did not want one badly enough. He liked to look at them all, though. It was not worth it. Not now, when things were getting good again. He sat there on the porch reading a book on the war. It was a history, and he was reading about all the engagements he had been in. It was the most interesting reading he had ever done. He wished there were more maps. 
He looked forward with a good feeling to reading all the good histories when they would come out with good detail maps. Now he was really learning about the war. He had been a good soldier. That made a difference. One morning, after he had been home about a month, his mother came into his bedroom and sat on the bed. She smoothed her apron. I had a talk with your father last night, Harold, she said. I guess, is Harold his name? Is it Harold no. Krebs? That's a, I had a talk with your father last night, Harold. I guess his name is Harold. She wouldn't have said, she wouldn't have told, uh, would she have told Krebs his phone father's name? I don't think so. That's what I was, that's what confused me. Um, now we'll go with it. I had a talk with your father last night, Harold, she said, and he is willing for you to take the car out in the evenings. Yeah, said Krebs, who was not fully awake. Take the car out? Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, he's like, have his leaves like, yeah, take the car. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, um, yes, your father has felt for some time that you should be able to take the car out in the evenings whenever you wished, but we only talked it over last night. I'll bet you made him, Krebs said. No, it was your father's suggestion that, that we talk the matter over. Yeah, I'll bet you made him. Krebs sat up in bed. Will you come down to breakfast, Harold, his mother said. As soon as I get my clothes on, Krebs said. His mother went out the room, and she could hear her frying something down, and he could hear her frying something downstairs while he washed, shaved, and dressed to go down to the dining room for breakfast. While he was eating breakfast, his sister brought in the mail. Well, Hare, she said, you old sleepyhead. What do you ever get up for? Krebs looked at her. He liked her. She was his best sister. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to say it. I guess he... I guess you, you, you inherently get along with one of your siblings better better than another. That doesn't necessarily mean you love them more or that... But it's just the phrasing. Who's the best sister? You know? Um, have you got the paper, he asked. Oh, first of all, it seems like... His mother's, like, tired of him just kind of loafing around. She wants him to do something. And so she, like, talks his dad into letting him use the car, hoping it will spur him to get out of this kind of yeah. meandering funk that he's in. Because um, she doesn't really know what to do to help him. And she, I don't think she knows, like, that's the, the beauty of reading this a hundred years later we can see like she does not understand the scope of his pain no. and what he's and been she, through she's like get out of the house he's got PTSD yeah. like and, he is and they don't know what it is emotionally traumatic yeah and and they're trying to get him to move past and they don't understand <clears throat> difficult the difficulty of the difficulty of the situation you know absolutely um have you got the paper he asked she handed him the Kansas City Star and, and he shucked off his brown wrapper and opened it to the sporting page. He folded the star open and propped it against the water pitcher with a cereal dish to steady it so he could read while he ate. Um, Hemingway actually worked for the Kansas City Star at one mm. point, so he's kind of like <laughs> kind of just I guess that was his go-to paper when he wrote the story. He's like, oh, well, I worked for them, so um Harold, his mother stood in the kitchen doorway. Harold, please don't muss up the paper. Your father can't read his star if it's been mussed. I won't muss it, Krebs said. His sister sat down at the table and watched him while he read. We're playing indoor over at school this afternoon, she said. I'm going to pitch. Good, said Krebs. How's the old wing? I can pitch better than lots of the boys. I tell them you all taught me. I tell them all, I tell them all you taught me. The other girls aren't much good. Yeah, said Krebs. I tell them all you're my beau. Aren't you my beau, Hare? You bet. 
couldn't your brother really be your beau just because he's your brother? I don't know. Sure, you know. Couldn't you be my beau hair if I was old enough and if you wanted to? Sure, you're my girl now. Am I really your girl? Sure. Do you love me? Uh-huh. Will you love me always? Sure. Will you come over and watch me play indoor? Maybe. Aw, oh, hair, you don't love me. If you loved me, you'd want to come over and watch me play indoor. What a weird conversation. <laughs> yeah. He's not up for he's not up for small talk. He's definitely not up for small yeah. talk. I'm rarely up for small talk. And I didn't suffer any type of <laughs> major trauma. Like I She's She's trying to pull a lot of emotion out of him. I think she's trying to pull something out of him. I think she I think they're starting they're starting to worry about him. They don't know what's going on obviously, but I think they they're starting to realize something's going on. And I think they they want to pull something out of him. That's mm-hmm. a it's a good way to look at that. Um, so Krebs's mother came into the dining room from the kitchen. She carried a plate with two fried eggs and some crisp bacon on it and a plate of buckwheat cakes. I guess are those kind of like pancakes or something? Maybe. Um, buckwheat. Not important. I'll Google it later. Not important, I guess. <laughs> In the grand scheme of things. You run along, Helen, she said. I want to talk to Harold. She put the eggs and bacon down in front of him and brought in a jug of maple syrup from the buckwheat cakes. Then she sat down across the table from Krebs. I wish you'd put down the paper a minute, Harold, she said. Krebs took down the paper and folded it. Have you decided what you're going to do yet, Harold, his mother said, taking off her glasses. No, said Krebs. Don't you think it's about time? His mother did not say this in a mean way. She seemed worried. I hadn't thought about it, Krebs said. God has some work for everyone to do, his mother said. There can be no idle hands in his kingdom. I'm not in his kingdom. Krebs said. We are all of us in his kingdom. Krebs felt embarrassed and resentful as always. I've worried about you so much, Harold, his mother went on. I know the temptations you must have been exposed to. I know how weak men are. I know <laughs> I know what your own dear grandfather, my own father, told us about the Civil War, and I have prayed for you. I pray for you all day long, Harold. Krebs looked at the bacon fat hardening on his plate. Your father's worried too, his mother went on. He thinks you have lost your ambition and that you haven't got a definite aim in life. Charlie Simmons, who is just your age, has a good job and is going to be married. The boys are all settling down. They're all determined to get somewhere. You can see that boys like Charlie Simmons are on their way to being really a credit to the community. Krebs said nothing. Don't look that way, Harold, his mother said. You know we love you, and I want to tell you for your own good how matters stand. Your father does not want to hamper your freedom. He thinks you should be allowed to drive the car. If you want to take some of the nice girls out riding with you, we are only too pleased. We want you to enjoy yourself. But you are going to have to settle down to work, Harold. Your father doesn't care what you start in. All work is honorable, as he says. But you've got to make a start at something. He asked me to speak to you this morning, and then you can stop in and see him at his office. Is that all, Krebs said. Yes. Don't you love your mother, dear boy? No, Krebs said. His mother looked at him across the table. Her eyes were shiny. She started crying. I don't love anybody, Krebs said. It wasn't any good. He couldn't tell her. He couldn't make her see it. It was silly to have said it. He had only hurt her. He went over and took hold of her arm. She was crying with her head in her hands. Like, it's not that he... Like, he doesn't mean it, like, in an offensive way. It's like, he just... He can't... He, he's not... He doesn't feel much of anything right now. So, it's to feel something so strongly as, like, love for anyone is something he can't do right now. I think um, he probably had people that were close to him in the war who had 
maybe died or gotten like seriously hurt so he's got like he doesn't want to get too close to anyone because he's inherently and that's just me kind of what's yeah. the word just kind of me just kind of thinking thinking out loud um, about maybes because um, it doesn't say that um, but then again Hemingway wouldn't tell you that <laughs> uh, so I think between like I think just the general trauma um, maybe maybe it's something more personal like that but maybe it's just he just is incapable of feeling anything strongly right now and love is a, inherently a strong emotion yeah, it's a, it's a, there's an abstractness to the word love and I think he's questioning what it is and if he okay. is capable of you know what I'm saying like, yeah yeah I think that's what like uh what is the I'm probably gonna botch this quote but that's okay we th- do that all the time things here. like <laughs> when he when he came back when Hemingway came back I, I remember one of my professors talking about you know or at least modernists and they're questioning these these words uh these abstract words like honor what what does it mean to have honor like can you believe that can you believe love can you believe these things and i think that's what he's doing right here he's i don't he says i don't love anybody i think he means it it's not that he doesn't because he because he he can't because of the atrocities that he's seen like how can there be love in this world like okay we were, and then also like he, he's fighting for he doesn't know what he's fighting for when he is there the super ironic line is that he sat on the porch reading a book this is obviously previously about on the war yeah he sat there on the porch reading a book on the war it was a history and he was reading about all the engagements he had been in it was the most interesting reading he had ever done like because i mean if if you're doing things you're shooting at people and you have no idea why people are shooting at you like unless you're like now he was really learning about the war i guess the 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 generals the people at the top um or like up near the top kind of like see the battle plans they see how the army's moving and stuff but he's just in a trench shooting at people in another yeah. trench like <laughs> yeah like i mean i guess he has like a sort of general idea of why he's doing it but he doesn't like get to see the bigger picture so when he gets home and he's reading reading the books about the war he gets to see like okay he's like okay i was here and he's like oh this is this is what like the bigger picture looked like cuz it's not just him trying to survive yeah but wait a minute, and then oh what if they're wrong though yeah I think I think they're questioning, here, you know, sure they're questioning that too. Yeah. Like patriotism, like that's a very big like, modernist like idea that patriotism is a lie. And like, we want you to be patriotic, so you'll go do like, what we tell especially you. Especially like you World know? War One, what did that have to do with the United States other than just our like we had allies? Like they weren't coming over to the U.S. Like we we went over there to help our allies allies out essentially. So. Like what? Why? Why did he have to go over there? Like, are are we? You know, because somebody thought they should. Yeah, and he, he doesn't know why. Yeah. He doesn't. He, he. But maybe. So yeah, he's wrestling with it, like you, yeah. like you said, kind of. If there's an abstractness to these words, patriotism, honor, and love, and like Hemingway thought those words were un- obscene. I think is what he called them. Like, wow, there's. Is there truth to any of those words? And that's why I think um, you mentioned it previously. Like Hemingway is like 
is is kind of filtering language down into something that is hard, fast, and strict. You know, like this is what it is. And any of those abstract he's the, words he's the, he's are... The, he's the anti-Victorian, yeah. like the anti-Victorian writer in, in a lot of sense. Like his, he's gone as the flowery prose and the mm. just... Yeah, just just straight, like a lot of simple sentences, a lot of just straight to the point. And then, and then there's a lot, lot left unsaid that, and that's why we're talking about it still, yeah. you know? <laughs> there's a deepness to it still, so... But I do think he's questioning, like what, what is love? I don't, I don't know if I love, or I don't love anybody. I think he's telling the truth there. Like after seeing what I've seen, in the trenches, like, is of there is there really love? Like, so I think that goes back to who, like, um, when she's like, when his mother brings up like God has some work for everyone to do. There can be no idle hands in His kingdom. I'm not in his kingdom, Krebs said. He's seen so much stuff. He probably does not believe in God anymore if he did before. Yeah. I... Again, just maybe, maybe not. But um, so his mother's crying. He says, I didn't mean it, he said. I was just angry at something. I didn't mean I didn't love you. His mother went on crying. Krebs put his arm on her shoulder. Can't you believe me, mother? His mother shook her head. Please, please, mother. Please believe me. All right, his mother said chokily. She looked up at him. I believe you, Harold. Krebs kissed her hair. She put her face up to him. I'm your mother, she said. I held you next to my heart when you were a tiny baby. Krebs felt sick and vaguely nauseated. I know, mummy, he said. I'll try and be a good boy for you. Would you kneel and pray with me, Harold, his mother asked. They knelt down beside the dining room table, and Krebs' mother prayed. Now you pray, Harold, she said. I can't, Krebs said. Try, Harold. I can't. Do you want me to pray for you? Yes. So his mother prayed for him, and when they stood up and Krebs kissed his mother and went out of the house. He had tried so to keep his life from being complicated. Still, none of it had touched him. He had felt sorry for his mother, and she made him lie. He would go to Kansas City and get a job, and she would feel all right about it. There would be one more scene, maybe, before he got away. He would not go down to his father's office. He would miss that one. He wanted his life to go smoothly. It had just gotten going that way. Well, that was all over now anyway. He would go over to the schoolyard and watch Helen play indoor baseball. Putting on airs right there at the end, for sure. He, he's not doing it for. He's not he's doing not it because he wants to. Yeah. Like he, he, I guess he. What were you gonna say? <laughs> no, just like. Even, even like, look at him, how he speaks to. It. I know, mommy. He said, "I'll try and be a good boy for you." Like, definitely, it's like, like he's forced. putting the emotion back into his voice, only for the relationship, yeah, to yeah. to to keep her from breaking down. I guess. Yeah, because like he he does, and he doesn't mean any of it. He does love and care, like, for his family as much as he can at this point. He's doesn't know does that make sense like like he still ca- I think he's just trying to maintain relationships like yeah because he cares about yeah those relationships or he feels like he should care one one or the other mm-hmm. and they're not the same thing but I mean it's I think it's one of those two um things yeah. um sad story though it is a sad story I mean there's a, there's a lot of like kind of it, he writes in such a de- Hemingway writes in such a detached sort of sort of style 
but you still it can still make you feel so much yeah um uh, uh, I think that adds an element to his stories. Like, there's a sense of like emotionless as an as it's narrated too. Like, it's just presenting it deadpan, and then we like then he, he trusts his readers to understand what he's saying without telling them they need to. He's like the epitome of show don't tell. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Still, none of it had touched him. He felt sorry for his mother, and she had made him lie. Just the way that he presents that, those few yeah. sentences, just as if it, were, it could have been any sentence that he ever presented. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. the detachment that there has an ironic. I think it's. I don't know if ironic's the right word, but we we see the irony in the kind of depressing sentence yet he doesn't present it as if it was depressing at all it's just a sentence you know yeah. and then we we feel the the emotion from it and but it's almost like the presented emotionlessly i'm nodding yeah i don't, I don't know if <laughs> that i don't even know if what i'm, I'm saying you, makes i don't know if you could hear me nodding on the, <laughs> on the audio there <laughs> um yeah, that's. I mean, there's so many good stories in here. Um, and there's probably some. There's probably a lot to glean from most of them if you really, really dig in. Um, some of it's more surface and obvious than than other stories. Um, yeah, the man could write. He could write a sentence. He could For write sure. one true sentence, and then follow that up with another true sentence until he had. Numerous, bounteous, true sentences <laughs> that tell a story or something what similar. What sentence was it that we just laughed at? <laughs> um, can't the, find like it. Krebs felt vaguely nauseated, that one? or uh, Now he would have liked a girl if she had come to him. And not wanting to talk. Uh, that one. <laughs> well, I think, and it, it kind of br- brushes on this. Like all the like, he didn't speak French or German, and he was over in France and Germany. And those girls, there was nothing. There, there was a, there's an intimacy in being with someone that you don't have have to talk to. It's not that it's not like talking cannot be intimate either, but it's a, it's a different sort of intimacy. They were both in this. Uh, like if he was over there with the girl they were both in this situation the girls back home are not in that same situation it's it's a very very different um, sort of thing their homes are not being invaded by foreign forces it's just a weird it's a very different weird sort of situation um, and they didn't they didn't need to talk over there they were just it was just companionship he needed somebody either the girl also needed somebody or she just felt like appreciative that the Americans had come over maybe Mm -hmm. Um, 
maybe she felt she had to do that. Who knows? Um, they couldn't talk. <laughs> yeah. And and they a lot of times in the, I mean, I've read other stories and uh, those those girls that when you're overseas in the military, like they're like I've even read stories where they they bring them in for a specific purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, absolutely. No talking, just. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. True. It's so, it was so easy for him over there. Yeah. He doesn't want to have to work for it now because yeah. he's used to getting it easy. Yeah. Um, that's all I've got. Yeah, I don't have. I mean, it's a great story. Sad. It and, is. And um, a lot of truth to it. I Moving, might, I think. I want to. I want to try to get you back on for the big two-hearted river. Yeah, because I love those e- stories, episodes. Yeah. Um, so, for sure, we'll make that happen one way or another, even if we have to delay them. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all we've got. I'm getting hungry. It's uh, lunchtime, um, so we're about to go. Um, thanks for joining me for these two episodes, Cody. Uh, anytime, <laughs> anytime. Uh, it's always more. I feel like it's more interesting to listen to probably when you got this conversation back and forth instead of me just like talking. Yeah, it's always good to bounce ideas. I think off I think conversation not only because there's not only bringing another like set of eyes, another mind, like more thoughts and like someone with different experiences to the table who's going to pick up something different than I would is mm-hmm. always going to be beneficial. But like also like if I say something. And you're like, oh, yeah. And then, like, that'll give you another idea or, like, vice versa. You say something. I'm like, oh, I never thought of it that way. That also makes this other part of it make mm-hmm. more sense or, like, make me think about this other part in a different way. So it's it's just fun to talk about literature, too, because I'm a lit nerd, bro. <laughs> Same. Um, but, yes, if you're still listening, thank you. And um, keep on reading. <laughs>